2: Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, March 11th. I'm Terry Aranga, here with my guest, Matt Robinson. Matt Robinson is a Washington, D.C.-based health and wellness coach. He was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in 2002. Utilizing natural treatment modalities, Matt has been living medication-free since early 2009. Matt is the author of The FMT Coach, A Guide to Fecal microbiota Transplantation, and he helps individuals and groups with chronic gut-related health conditions to live fully and to achieve their life and health goals. Welcome, Matt.
3: Thanks, Terry. It's good to be here.
2: Matt, when we talk about the microbiota or the microbiome of the gastrointestinal tract or gut flora, what do we mean? Sure.
3: the uh, Biome is just science speak, a scientific word for a large naturally occurring community of organisms. So when we talk about uh, the inhabitants of that biome, Uh, we're talking about the bacteria, fungi, and some viruses that inhabit the large intestine um, and are collectively known as the gut microbiota. Typically, we're talking about the gut as an ecosystem and the inhabitants of that ecosystem.
2: And there are how many trillions of organisms there and many different species or... Yeah, I,
3: so counts vary, but there are about 150 or so odd species that compose the human gut microbiome. And there are, but there are hundreds of trillions of organisms, individual bacteria that make up the gut microbiome. And we're largely talking about um, when we talk about the gut microbiome, we're talking about the large intestine mostly. And there are more cells in the large intestine bacterial cells than we have human cells in our body. So that people talk about it as its own organ sometimes.
2: And these are living things uh with their own agendas and modus operandi.
3: Yeah, they're their own, they're their own living organisms. They've evolved with us for thousands of years and, uh, but we have a mutually beneficial relationship with these organisms. They help us, we help them, um, and we've evolved together for thousands of years.
2: When they're in balance.
3: When they're in balance, indeed, right?
2: Okay. It's, it's symbiotic when they're in balance, right? Mm-hmm. Well, please share how you began your journey looking into the world of the microbiome.
3: Right. So when I was... Um, Diagnosed in 2002 with colitis. I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to it because the doctor said, Oh, it's probably stress. Quit one of your three jobs and you should be fine. And I did, and it was fine for a while. But in 2008, I had a huge flare up of my symptoms that no medication could control. And, um, I was going down a path that I just didn't want to go down. I was getting sicker and sicker, and the medications weren't working for me. And I thought, This is silly. I'm trained in science. I can. I can research and I can figure something out, right? Maybe that's a little arrogant, but that's what I thought at the time. And that's when I got a hold of Elaine Gashaw's book on the specific carbohydrate diet. And she introduced to me for the first time, the concept that, um, Disease, my my disorder. I don't like to use the word disease. I don't think it's helpful. But my disorder could be controlled or reversed, even in some cases, through uh, manipulating the gut bacteria. And her idea was through diet, which worked really well for me. And that's how I started: was changing my diet and looking at the changes that it made in my gut symptoms, and thinking about how it changed the gut bacteria. And from there, I thought, well, even though we can't elucidate a real, like one etiology, one cause for ulcerative colitis or for Crohn's, it makes sense that if you manipulate the bacterial community and you get better, that the bacterial community is at least a huge part of the equation. So then I moved into probiotics, started researching about probiotics using my inner geek. I learned a lot about probiotics and experimented on myself and with a community of people that I was, um, you know, getting better with. We were all getting better together. Uh, and once I realized that probiotics were working, um, I stumbled by accident on fecal transplants. And that's where I started to learn more about the broader gut ecosystem and its effects on the body. And it just made sense that if one to nine strains of bacteria can uh, improve your symptoms, then why not a full suite of the healthy human um, flora? It could be, in my mind, could be the ultimate probiotic, right? So that's how I got started.
2: Well, Matt, you've mentioned many concepts here, and um, you mentioned common sense. You alluded to common sense where it's common sense to encourage good, healthful bacteria and not to feed the bad bacteria, for example, by things that we eat. And I don't think it was arrogant for you to think that you could research this and come up with theories uh, toward answers for your condition. And I don't think it means that uh, you were using your inner geek. So um, it's, so many of these things are just common sense and uh, people in general, uh, so-called laypersons have been discouraged from following their uh, gut feelings and uh, researching these things and, and being empowered to take charge of their own health, to just look to experts. But certainly, uh, we can be experts on our own bodies and we should be empowered to do so, like you were, and look how much it helped you. So I
3: agree. I totally agree. People um, can become their own experts and um, should be empowered to research and learn as much as they can. I agree.
2: What is the gut brain axis?
3: The gut-brain axis is uh, it's just a way, a term we use to describe the interconnectedness of the gut and the brain. It's the intersection of the form and the function of the gut and the brain. One, uh, one affects the other. It's a two-way, just as we know, everything in our body is connected, and it's a term that we use to describe the interconnectedness of the gut and the brain.
2: And a lot of our immune system is in our gut. Quite a lot of our immune system is is in our gut. So what does the gut-brain axis have to do with inflammatory disorders of the gut and how does this affect the immune and consequently the central nervous system?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. And so the caveat to this is that I'm a coach and, and a layperson like you and not a researcher. So I, I reserve the right to be simplistic cause some, <laughs> sometimes, but I'll be as specific as I can. Um, what's relevant here, I think, is, well, let's use an example of the connectedness. Everyone knows stress, right? The brain communicates with the gut. And anyone who's been nervous can attest to having butterflies, nausea, even diarrhea from nervousness and stress. So stress can cause changes in gut motility, for example, which can change the internal environment of the gut. There's even some uh, research suggesting that stress can alter the composition of the gut flora. Uh, so, and when the composition of the gut flora are altered, then the collective signal that they, se- that they send, the back and forth between the gut flora and um, the immune system that's in our gut, that com- communication gets broken, damaged, or changed in some way. So for me, in a coaching situation, regardless of whether or not we know the mechanism that's involved, regardless of whether we're talking about IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, IBS, um, irritable bowel syndrome, syndrome, or something else that's gut related, we know that stress can exacerbate inflammatory conditions. So, one thing we work on is how to reduce stress. So, that's just an example.
2: And so, you've now also alluded to neurotransmitters. When I think about the gut-brain axis, I think about how a couple of different ways. I think about how when we have um, gut pathology, this sends out these immune system chemical messengers called cytokines. We can have a cytokine storm and things can travel up to our brain. Signals can travel up to our brain and then it can affect the central nervous system. So we can go from the gastrointestinal system to the nerve, immune system to the nervous system.
3: Mm-hmm. Right, and that's what's happening when we have, so for example, the stress response. Uh, the body sends chemicals throughout the body for, as a stress response, and then uh, that communication is two-way between the gut and between the brain. So in chronic inflammatory conditions like mine or in chronic gut distress, we have elevated levels of stress. So that communication that you alluded to those chemical pathways uh, that are turned on for stress, for example, are always turned on, whereas they're not supposed to be uh, for inflammatory conditions. So, um, yeah.
2: The other thing that I was thinking of is just when we've lost our gut wall integrity, say when little yeasty fingers have poked holes through our gut or when um, whatever gut pathology has, has caused there to not be tight junctions in our gut wall and things like that, then proteins can get through that haven't been sufficiently digested and these can affect our brain.
3: Indeed. And I've experienced that personally, Terry, as we get leaky gut things pass through our gut wall that shouldn't otherwise. And then the the body reacts to those. We have an uh, an inflammatory or an immune response to those things. And I've experienced that in the last couple of years, especially with um, I get brain fog or forgetfulness when I have um, a flare up of my symptoms or I get into a food that I shouldn't have or something like that. Uh, Forgetfulness, uh, sometimes I have a hard time finding words, and those are definitely brain effects. Uh, people with IBD often experience bout, serious bouts of depression from this, uh, and there are various different mechanisms that people speculate about, uh, but the gut dysbiosis and the leaky gut definitely contribute to uh, effects on the body and the brain and the central nervous system.
2: Well, to our listeners, Matt and I do want to encourage listeners that when you change for yourself or for your loved one, any, uh, signif- any regimen that's already in place or make any significant biological change, uh, to an existing regimen or stop or starter regimen, to so please check with your experienced Healthcare practitioner who provides medical oversight. Matt, what is the relationship of the gut to metabolic processes like energy metabolism?
3: That's a good question. Um, I, let me answer in the way that I think you're asking. And if, uh, if you're asking something different, you know, you can tell me, but I, I think the gut is the linchpin of the whole system. Um, so when it's working properly, our gut can break down food into essential nutrients, which sustains life, bolsters our immune system, helps us to think clearly and to live long and healthy life, right? But when it isn't working correctly, the whole system suffers. Remember, uh, Hippocrates' quote, all diseases begin in the gut. So the relationship is, I, I think the gut is the linchpin and the beginning.
2: Yeah, way goes, so goes the body.
3: Mm-hmm. Agreed.
2: Yeah, I found that uh, when I had uh, some, some gut symptoms uh, after having uh, taken something that I had been prescribed, then afterwards I found that I, I was having, for example, hay fever symptoms. And, you know, that huh? seems kind of mysterious. Like, what would... What would having had diarrhea have to do with hay fever symptoms? But when yeah. the uh, gut is compromised, more stuff can get through your gut wall. And uh, what would you say that affected the immune system?
3: It does. And what you're describing is, um, I think, typical of die-off symptoms. So, for example, if somebody is prescribed an antibiotic, uh, they can get... Um, flu-like symptoms, achiness, runny nose with the diarrhea and this, the toxins and the byproducts giving off from the death of all this bacteria down there. And if you have leaky gut where the gut wall is compromised, then your die-off symptoms are all the worse. So, for example, when I uh, my doctor gave me a new medicine a few years ago and one of the main um, ways that that medicine helps ulcerative colitis is through its antimicrobial capacity. But after three days on it, I was having hives and runny nose and brain fog, and I needed to sleep 16 hours a day. It just, uh, it was affecting me, and but it was also making my gut worse. I was having diarrhea from it.
2: Let's pick up uh, with this conversation when we come back from a brief break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll be back with Matt Robinson, and we want to thank this program sponsor, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism, which uses fast-forward technology. Please visit them at www.brainprolearning.com. We'll be right back.
4: listening to voice america health and wellness holy hormones honey every week this groundbreaking radio show brings you insight about hormone fluctuations addressing the core biological issues that cause mood disorders and offers a general support center for women everywhere at any stage in their lives Host Leslie Carol Botha has the passion and drive to help you make informed decisions about your well-being and reclaim your life. Holy Hormones, Honey, sponsored by True Hope Incorporated, the leaders in brain health, is broadcast live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, Noon Eastern, on Voice America Health & Wellness.
5: If you are a parent who is dealing with a child who has issues related to a congenital heart defect, be sure to tune in every week to Heart to Heart with Anna. Anna Jaworski, who serves as your host, as a child who was born with a complex congenital heart defect, and she and her guests will help you discover resources and receive encouragement as you learn how to become an informed advocate in the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna is heard live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk
5: Radio.
4: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry.
2: During the break, I was talking with my guest, Matt Robinson, who is the author of The FMT Coach, A Guide to Fecal Microbiota Transplantation. And, Matt, I was mentioning to you, Um, how in addition to the die-off symptoms that you mentioned in the first segment, um, my thoughts about how after, say, you get antibiotics for something unrelated and you end up with diarrhea for uh, a little while, then if your gut wall integrity is compromised, then you are prone to becoming showing allergic reactions to other things. Are you finding that a lot among the people uh, to whom you speak? Yeah,
3: I do. Um, Whenever, so for example, with uh, Clostridia difficile, with the C. diff treatments, they're heavy antibiotics that they're giving people and it uh, decimates the flora in your gut as well as tries to kill the C. diff, which sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But your protective flora has been altered in such a way that now um, you're open to all sorts of other autoimmune, quasi-autoimmune reactions. And if you already had leaky gut, then it's just going to be uh, all the worse. And I, I see a lot of people who, who've who had those complications from C. diff treatment and other antibiotics.
2: Uh-huh. That makes sense. Yeah, I was thinking that now you had these holes in your gut wall and things were going through that wouldn't have gone through before that were causing allergic reactions. Hmm. Um, What do you think about that?
3: Yeah, that may be the case. Whether the mechanism is from byproducts from the, the, the new community, the shifted community, or whether it's from now food products that are going across the gut barrier that shouldn't or uh, toxins that the old community were metabolizing that the new community is not now metabolizing. There could be many mechanisms, but the result is the same. We get more allergies, we get chronic hives, we get other things that we didn't Mm -hmm. get before.
2: I read a very, very recent news article, uh, and in it, there was a woman, you know, all she could do insofar as getting out of bed was just to be able to get out of bed to go to the restroom again to have more diarrhea, and uh, she had C. diff, and she had success with fecal microbiota transplantation (FMT). By the way, can you let people know what your website is, Matt?
3: Yes, the website is naturaldigestivehealing dot com. It's a mouthful, but naturaldigestivehealing dot com.
2: And it's intuitive, naturaldigestivehealing.com. dot com. To so take your gut intuition and visit naturaldigestivehealing.com. Matt, is the gut flora of children with autism different from that found in neurotypical children?
3: Yes. The, so mostly, yes. The, the children with autism have been found to have, uh, in studies, have been found to have fewer species or different species, different composition of bacteria. So, for example, one study found increased occurrence of a bacteria called Sartorella. Another found high occurrence of Clostridia species. Other studies have found uh, sulfur-reducing bacteria in large quantities. So, typically, yes. And um, I I just read about a study that said about 70% of children with autism have some sort of GI distress, which would um, be an indicator of gut dysbiosis.
2: And that means imbalance. The stasis means imbalance. So what are some examples of toxic byproducts or effects of this abnormal gut flora?
3: Right. So the toxic byproducts, I'm trying to think of an example. The clostridial, uh, clostridia uh, genera are famous for the toxins they produce. They produce pore-forming toxins. So that's just a way of saying that They create these toxins. Create unregulated pores in the membranes of cells. Cells have um, pores that let things selectively in and out. But if you form a pore on the cell that's unregulated, then the cell can't control what comes in and out. And that's especially uh, pernicious because so the high potency of these clostridial toxins results from their specific targets. They target the cell, and they. they target specific cellular functions. So, uh, but there are also other byproducts from other types of bacteria that um, are neurotoxic, um, that are hepatotoxic, which is for the liver, etc.
2: Derek McFabe has done a lot on this topic, and he has talked about uh, you know, a self-perpetuating bug. Where if you have the bug, it and I'm going to very loosely paraphrase. This particular, the bug sends you to the refrigerator to keep getting cinnamon buns and eating what is going to feed that bug. Um, So the bug actually directs you to the very food that would perpetuate it. And he also cited behavioral effects like obsessive grooming uh, between mice.
3: Yes, yes. Yeast are famous for um, forming sugar cravings in their host, for example. Yeah. Um, okay, and I, I think you know, there's some of that We see this with in species across species? the earth. They they have behaviors that perpetuate their um, that help them propagate and help them live. So that makes sense.
2: Okay. Um, our connection went a little fuzzy for a minute and I think I spoke over you. So can you reiterate that? And can you let our listeners know if clostridial species do that as well?
3: I don't know about clostridial species. I know that uh, yeast are famous for producing sugar cravings in people and the toxins from yeast, for example, um, have been known to create brain fog and other things. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, we could go... Bacteria by bacteria, but I'd have to I'd have to do a little bit more research to remember them off the top of my head. But the sugar craving from yeast is what I was saying when our connection went a little crazy.
2: Okay, sure. And then again, uh, to listeners, when you're going to address these issues, um, as Matt alluded to earlier, you do want to. Um, Be careful about die-off symptoms and, you know, take proper uh, uh, measures to mitigate uh, anything untoward because when you address yeast, say, with prescription medication, then there can be behavioral effects. Um, There's something called a Herxheimer's reaction. Some people use activated charcoal to mitigate effects. And also, there's something that's called biofilm. Um, this matrix uh, community of organisms, and the organisms inside the biofilm are a lot more virulent than those outside the biofilm. So um, we encourage you to use a thoughtful method under professional guidance, you know, not just, you know, the, throw the spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks kind of method, but to uh, do due diligence on that. Uh, these things can be addressed, and you just want to do it with uh, due diligence. So, Agreed. Matt, you, you've talked about children with autism and uh, having gut flora that's different from that found in neurotypical children. This is backed up by research. Do the GI symptoms that children with autism have correlate with the difference in gut flora?
3: I believe they do. Um, it... The the symptoms that children with autism have uh, for their gut with constipation and reflux and cramping and bloating and gas all point to um, gut dysbiosis of some sort. So, yeah, I think so.
2: And then especially during critical neurodevelopmental windows, how Mm -hmm. do gut flora imbalance and gut pathology Affect neurodevelopment and behavior.
3: That's a darn good question. So we know that um, what is it? 80% of brain development happens in the first two years of life. So if you're um, have, if you have serious gut dysbiosis in those early years, think back to our discussion. If your listeners will think back to our discussion of the gut brain axis, and combine that with the toxins that uh, come from or the dysregulation of the um, chemical signaling pathways that happen with gut dysbiosis, then you can have some serious effects on the central nervous system and on the immune system at those, especially in those young years, it's critical for development in those young years.
2: So the gut is foundational and that in fact was where so many physicians who used to, for example, used to be part of the network that was known as Defeat Autism Now. That's where so many started um, with, you know, heal the gut. That was the first thing, heal the gut. And uh, yeah. and that seemed to be a good way to go. Well, we will be right back with Matt Robinson, author of the FMT Coach, A Guide to Fecal Microbiota Transplantation. Matt, what was that website again?
3: Naturaldigestivehealing.com
2: naturaldigestivehealing.com We want to thank this program's sponsor, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism they have fast forward technology and you can visit them at brainprolearning.com we'll be right back
4: opinions options answers voice america health and wellness explore the power of natural healing with howard strauss join us each week for an informative program that'll help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies howard's guests include top researchers authors and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
5: Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network.
4: Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One,
1: a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry.
2: We are back with Matt Robinson, who's the author of The FMT Coach, a guide to fecal microbiota. Transplantation That helps individuals and groups with chronic gut-related health conditions to live fully and to achieve their life and health goals. Matt, before the break, we were talking about children with autism. What happens to the health and behavior of children with autism when gut pathology and dysbiosis are addressed?
3: That's a good question. Um, the caveat to this is that everybody is different, right? Every body... Uh, responds in its own context, but by and large, you know the people get better when they start to when they start to address these gut-related and diet-related issues. So um, there are even there are studies to back this up, and there uh, are rat m- mouse models that also show improvements with gut changes. So that's the exciting part: people
2: start to get better. And if you're in a situation, to our listeners, you know, if there's a situation where a child is quote unquote acting out at school, the humane thing to do is to first see if there is a physiological basis for this. And so often there is a legitimate physiological basis for this. The child may be suffering from, uh, from reflux. Um, You know, they may have esophageal erosion. They may be very uncomfortable. So their tummy may hurt. They may be having gastrointestinal tract pain. And there are other reasons, too. This shows focusing on the GI tract, but there are other reasons that they could be having pain as well. And so there are so many legitimate underlying physiological conditions that go into a quote unquote autism diagnosis. And behavior is communication. So, if you are a therapist, a teacher, a caregiver, please see what's going on physiologically with the child that may be impacting them behaviorally. And when you do things like healing the gut, you can have a much happier child, and consequently, a child who's able to learn their their lessons and um, and is able to in more as a harmonious family member, just a whole host of positive benefits. Yeah, that, and that's the exciting part, is that at a bare minimum,
3: when we address the gut, the, the pain, the stress, and the GI distress can be remedied, and, and often you have a happier child just because of that.
2: You know? Yes, yes. So the really humane and merciful thing to do is, is not just to say that that a child is acting a certain way because they have autism. I heard someone say once about diarrhea that, uh, oh, they just have that. Well, why? And can you make it better? And will that make a whole lot of other things better? And the answer is yes. So, Matt, are there other so-called quote-unquote mental conditions that are influenced by gastrointestinal health?
3: Oh, yeah. Off the top of my head, uh, depression, ADD, ADHD, schizophrenia. There are lots that are associated with um, gut dysbiosis.
2: Nutrients. Are there nutritional imbalances that are involved with things like schizophrenia or other so-called mental issues?
3: Yes, um, from my reading of the research, uh, everything is still you know in theory, but there are, um, for example, deficiencies in cysteine, which is an amino acid, which is a precursor to um, uh, precursor to tryptophan, I, I believe. There are uh, vitamin. B vitamins, B12 and B6 deficiencies which contribute to depression. Um, There are other deficiencies which contribute to like problems regulating your sugar. And so there, yes, especially if you have um, severe diarrhea, then you're open to a host of of malnutrition issues that can contribute to um, behavioral changes and all sorts of other body changes.
2: Are Are there things living in the gut maybe like parasites that mess up utilization of certain nutrients, you know, that impede those nutrients benefits being available to people?
3: Yes, there are. I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. Um, Well, so, uh, yeast, high yeast can do this. Um, yeast also can produce beneficial B vitamins and things like that. But, um, In high quantities in the gut, they can uh, inhibit nutrient um, absorption. There are sulfur-reducing bacteria that can um, essentially steal the the sulfur that your body needs for um, essential reactions and things like that.
2: Conversely, there could be some nutrients that feed bugs that you don't want to encourage.
3: Yeah, like fructose is an example of that. There's this study I read that when you reduced fructose consumption and added um, uh, certain bifidobacteria, that it improved depression.
2: So this is another reason you want to have a thoughtful and comprehensive approach to that individual person, individualized therapy. Find out what's really going on with their unique situation, and meet them where they're at to begin effective. Remediation. Tell us about probiotics, Matt. What are they? What do they do? And how are they obtained?
3: Uh, So probiotics are simply bacteria which are beneficial to life. That's what probiotics means. Um, Traditionally, they've been thought of as uh, lacto-fermenting bacteria, lactobacillus, things that make yogurt. Uh, But they don't have to be. The more we learn about the beneficial bacteria for us, the more species fall under this category of probiotic. Uh, Now there are some um, soil organisms that we're seeing as probiotic and healthy. Uh, And they just, they help improve intestinal barrier function. They fight yeast. They protect us from pathogens. Um, And most importantly for us in our conversation, Terry, is they help modulate uh, GI distress inflammatory, uh, disorders and other gut related disorders. Um, and I've been using probiotics, uh, for five years and that's a, an integral part of my plan that keeps me off of traditional medications.
2: Yeah. And they, they crowd out the bad bacteria, the bad guys. Uh, I know yeah. if I feel a cold coming on or something like that, then I can go, try and get my multiple strain probiotics. I have a couple of different types of probiotics that I like and um, yeah, then I feel better. And it doesn't just, probiotics don't just help your gut, they'll help your oral health as well. So probiotics are good to have on hand. Let's talk about fecal microbiota transplantation, what it is exactly and when it can be considered.
3: Sure. Fecal transplantation is exactly what it sounds like. We're using, um, we're harvesting the bacteria from a healthy person's gut and implanting it into a person with dysbiosis, with, um, with a flora, with an altered, pathogenically altered flora, like somebody like me. So when I did fecal transplantation, I found a healthy donor. I harvested uh, his bacteria and I implanted it into my gut.
2: Alright, and how, how can someone find a good donor? I would think with all of the pollutants in our, in this world and with how um, widespread Clostridia has become, how do you find a good donor and a reputable guide or clinician for the procedure?
3: Those are two separate things. The First, finding a new, finding a donor is getting harder and harder. Someone who doesn't have a history of autoimmune conditions, doesn't have a history of depression, or other quote unquote mental uh, gut related illness, um, who doesn't smoke and drink heavily, <laughs> who doesn't have a parasite or water or blood borne disease. It, it, there's a lot. That goes into it and in the book, the, uh, in my ebook there, it comes with a donor screening form that will help people pick out um, a suitable donor. It's, there's no, uh, there's no commonly accepted form, but what I've done is tried to uh, agglomerate all the research into one form that will help people pick a suitable donor. Uh, finding a clinician is a little bit more difficult because right now in the U.S. The only really truly accepted mode for fecal transplants is in the case of C. diff, and even then, most doctors won't do it unless you've already failed the antibiotic protocol, which um, candidly, I think, is egregious given the fact that antibiotics have a huge risk factor to them compared to uh, fecal transplants, which just don't really have much risk to them at all when done with a healthy donor.
2: Mm-hmm. And do, before doing fecal transplant, do some uh, practitioners actually use antibiotics to sterilize the, tr- the GI tract?
3: Yeah, that's the traditional way. That's the way, um, that's the way a lot of the clinics are doing it, are using antibiotics beforehand. Um, but there are alternative methods to doing that because I know that people with gut dysbiosis, people with IBD and other folks, children with autism have already, lots of them have already been through several rounds of antibiotics. And understandably, families might be shy to try more antibiotics. So there are other ways. The principle is to reduce the bacterial load. So if you think of the gut as a neighborhood, and the neighborhood has um, been uh, populated with riffraff now, and you want to change the composition of the neighborhood, you need to move the riffraff out first before you can move in the new community. So, um, that's what, uh, people call population resistance. So when you're, you need to reduce the resistance of the existing bacteria to a new community, and you can do that through, um, Another safer way to do that through is a series of enemas or a lavage like you would do for a colonoscopy prep that would sufficiently reduce bacteria. But that's that's arguable, you know? All this is arguable. But as a coach, I get to say my preferred method is to not use antibiotics even though in the book I do outline a protocol for antibiotics.
2: Mm -hmm. I would think that the new good guys on the block would just come in with their big good guy muscles and crowd out the riffraff, even if. Well, you
3: know. so in theory that can work, um, but the the most efficacious of the fecal transplants are the first few. So if you're doing a series of ten, one a day for ten days, the the first three are the most important because that'll establish the colonization. So if you if you have the if you have the least resistance in those first three, then you get. Better colonization more quickly. Uh, so at the end of the 10 treatments, you probably still have the same colonization if you didn't do a series of enemas or antibiotics, but, uh, you could end up with more die off effects, more diarrhea, and, uh, you, you do risk, like if you've got something nasty in there, like C. diff, um, you do, you run the risk, even if it's small, of not completely establishing the new flora. So, Uh, That's why everybody does some sort of reduction of the bacterial load before you start.
2: I'm looking at my computer screen and there's an article, MIT Lab hosts Nation's First Stool Bank, but will it survive? And that is on commonhealth.wbur.org and a bunch of other stuff after that. But it's called MIT Lab, Nation's First Stool Bank, But Will It Survive? So um, it shows a picture of bottles of frozen human stool for fecal transplants at the nation's first stool bank, Open Biome. So listeners can check out that article. And also listeners can check out research on on uh, topics that we've been talking about from those like Dr. Sidney Feingold, Dr. Derek McFabe. Um, I know that Arthur I think it's Arthur Krigsman, Dr. Arthur Krigsman, who has found that the bowel disorder uh in children with autism is unique and not to be confused with some other uh popularly known uh GI diagnoses so people can check out this additional research there's also a book bugs bowels and behavior uh the groundbreaking story of the gut brain connection that listeners can check out We want to thank this program's sponsor, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism, that uses fast-forward technology, and we will be right back after the break.
4: You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you or someone you love struggle with Alzheimer's disease or some other disorder? Many times... There is not an adequate support forum where you can learn from and discuss topics from top guest experts. Tune in to Matters: the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Although thought of as a disease that affects only older individuals, increasingly symptoms are being found in people who are in their 40s and 50s. Get the answers. Matters airs live Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: Your health is your greatest gift. So what decisions are you making to support your health and well-being today? Your overall state of health is a reflection of the habits you create in your daily life. Do you know what it takes to live a truly preventative lifestyle? Listen for Reclaim Your Health with host Dr. Maggie Luther. We'll show you how to add health into your life every day to prevent chronic disease. What's more, we'll help you optimize your health and live a more fulfilled life. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at Voice America TRN or Twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN.
4: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry.
2: We are back with Matt Robinson, author of The FMT Coach, a guide to fecal microbiota transplantation. His website is naturaldigestivehealing.com. Matt, can you give us the 50,000-mile bird's-eye view of gut dysbiosis and related?
3: Of gut dysbiosis and re- the treatment or just of gut dysbiosis itself?
2: Whatever you like, whatever you think huh. is the most important perspective for listeners.
3: Right. So the, a couple of things to remember is that gut dysbiosis uh, is becoming more and more common uh, especially in Western culture, as we live a more and more sanitary life, uh, and so there are several. There's the fifty thousand foot view of treating gut dysbiosis. Although I'm not I'm not a doctor, so the caveat is that I don't recommend treatments in my coaching. But from what I've seen, um, the foundation of treating gut dysbiosis is change in diet plus changing actively changing the flora in some way, be that through probiotics, diet does help that probiotics and fecal transplants. Uh, So lifestyle issues can also help change um, change the way your flora interacts with your body. So the Main things I want people to remember is that it's becoming more and more common that you're not alone in this. Uh, lots of people, especially if you try and find a donor for fecal transplants, you'll find that more people have gut issues than you ever thought. And second, that it's relative. This treatment is relatively simple, although it's not easy. Simple in that there are just a couple components: diet and floral change, which would be probiotics or fecal transplant. And there may be some other things that work, but those are the major components.
2: So you had mentioned specific carbohydrate diet at the beginning of this program. And specific carbohydrate diet has indeed helped many people, uh, those with autism, those without autism, people can find a book about specific carbohydrate diet like Elaine Gottschall uh, that should be available uh, on the internet, et cetera, and uh, that's called Breaking the Vicious Cycle. So if uh, parents are trying gluten-free, casein-free diet, which has certainly helped many children, um, but are finding that they need to go uh, to a different diet, they can consider a specific carbohydrate diet, they can consider the GAPS diet, um, et cetera. But again, um, there are legitimate underlying... Conditions in autism, I don't necessarily want to call them comorbidities, but uh, you can find a diet nutrition counselor, find a physician experienced with autism who knows about the different diets and see what might be most suitable for your child. There's certainly a wealth of information out there on things that have helped many children. Uh, So, Matt... Tell us about being a health and wellness coach, especially for fecal microbiota transplantation. How can a coach help, and where does this fit within a person's support team?
3: Sure, um, I love being a coach. I started doing it because when I was figuring things out myself, I was—it just didn't make sense that I was doing it alone. You shouldn't have to do these, You shouldn't have to go about treating chronic illness alone, and so. Uh, it was a way of, of sharing my gifts with others. Uh, so a coach is someone who's trained. We are trained and certified in places and credentialed. Someone who's trained to help you reach a goal or make a change in your life. Coaches are good at, uh, critical junctures in your life where you need to make movement forward. And for some reason, you can't or you do, sh- or you don't want to do it alone. And I would make the case, that in caring for or living with chronic illness, that you shouldn't have to do it alone. And that makes for more critical junctures in your life. So um, we provide accountability and structure and a consistent empathetic ear for people. Um, coaching is an ongoing relationship, uh, which is different than consulting. A doctor is a consultant. You come in and you say, Doc, my leg hurts. What's wrong, and what do I do? He said, and he or she says, "This is what's wrong. This is what you should do. Go and do, and come back and see me." But a coach would say something something different. It would be more of a conversation of leading people to their own uh, their their own decisions and their own plans, because we all know that the decisions we follow best are the ones that we ourselves make, right? So. That's what a coach is and what we can do. So for example, with fecal transplantation, when I meet with somebody, they uh, come from all different kinds of places, but for example, someone who says, hey, I'm dealing with severe colitis, nothing is working, and I'm thinking about fecal transplants. What do you think? And I might start with a question of, why are you uh, considering fecal transplants? And we'll go from there. Uh, so then we get to go through, why are they considering it? Where does it work into their treatment plan? Um, how does it work into their life and work because it is disruptive? How do we find a donor? Um, and what other things can we do together? Those sorts of things. And, um, one of the conversations that I have with people all the time is how do I talk to my doctor about this? Where do I find a doctor who will be open to it? So we talk through a lot of these life questions, and um, maybe that illustrates better than my description of what a coach is, what a coach can do for people.
2: So. Oh yeah, that was a a good direction there, Matt. Yeah, if if you're going to be talking to someone about this, you might want to find a friend who knows a friend who already knows an enlightened healthcare practitioner who would not think you were from planet Pluto if you said the word (laughs) fecal microbiota transplantation to them, right?
3: Right, right.
2: Right. Okay, so Matt, can people get in touch with you through your website?
3: They can, yeah. There's a contact form there, and they can email me, and I'm pretty good about email. Um, So, yeah, they can get through my website, Uh, and there are lots of articles on the blog under the blog tab that they can read through.
2: Okay, and that's naturaldigestivehealing.com. Well, Matt, thank you for sharing your time with us here today.
3: You're welcome. It's been a pleasure.
2: Matt will be on site in Chicago at the Autism One 2014 conference, which is being held May 21st through 25th. Matt is a speaker at that conference, and we will be having five days of over 100 speakers on a diversity of topics with exciting cutting-edge research and treatment information, Uh, some of your favorite uh, gastrointestinal topic speakers will also be there uh, with new research, some really groundbreaking information I can't tell you about yet, so I hope we'll have that there for you. But that's May 21st through 25th, a u t i s m o n e autism1.org. We want to thank this program's sponsor, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism, which uses fast-forward technology. Please visit them at www.brainprolearning.com. Their number is 855-308-1362 or click on the Brain Pro banner on my host page. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.